You're listening to the Art of Parenting podcast. I'm your host, Jeanne-Marie Penel. My intention is to share with you simple tips and tricks that will make a huge difference in your life, as well as giving you all the support and encouragement you deserve to enhance your parenting experience. I've created this safe place for us to explore the issues and concerns that matter to you bringing you clarity and solutions with Q&A sessions and inspirational conversations with world-renowned experts in a variety of fields. I've recently created a private community for us to continue these supportive and uplifting conversations. Click the Join the Art of Parenting Community Here button on this page and I will see you there. I'm a firm believer that parenting was never meant to be done alone, and I'm here to debunk the general consensus that it has to be hard. A warm welcome to you, and thanks for tuning in. Hello and welcome back. This is Jeanne-Marie Penel, your host of The Art of Parenting. And today I have a guest, Anna Seewald, which uh, we have been communicating for quite some time. And I am just so delighted to have her on my podcast because she has been quite an inspiration to me as I started my podcasting journey. So I am just very pleased to have you here, Anna. Thank you for making the time. Oh, thank you for inviting me, Jean-Marie, and you are an inspiration for me too with your work that you do, your dedication, uh, the art that you create, the graphics, and the little videos. They're so inspiring, and you put the love and the passion comes through. I, I just admire you so much from a distance, and oh. I know your work is making a big difference in, in the world. Thank you. That means a lot to me. And and actually, as we were talking offline, um, Anna has just celebrated seven years of podcasting. And like I say, she's been an inspiration because she's has some amazing guests on her podcast, uh, more than 330 episodes. And we were reminiscing that I was actually one of your first guests when you first started. Actually, that is correct. Yeah, back in 2015. So we've been in touch for seven years. It's an amazing journey. And we have never met in real life. We came very close. But <laughs> that's right. That's right. We will one day we will. But it's good to have you here. So to get us started, uh, I would love for you to define what you think the art of parenting is. I love this question. Um, to me, it means being more process oriented as opposed to result outcome oriented. Um, because when you are process oriented, you are more in the present, you're more enjoying what you're doing, or at least you are in the here and now. But when you focus on the outcome, of what you want your child to be, what school to go, what kind of grades, what achievements, performance, then you get wrapped up in that fear-based mentality, control-based mentality, and you use techniques that you want to control the outcome, but sadly we can't. Our children are who they are, and we are just here to support and nurture them to become their authentic selves. And art for me is free. There is self-expression in art. Uh, there is that flow in art. And you can interpret it 
you know, individually. So there is no right or wrong. And there is no, oh, this piece of artwork is the correct one, or this one is done badly. There is no metrics or measurements. For me, that's what defines parenting. I think that's how I see the art of parenting. Beautiful. I, I love that that uh, definition and, and especially the fact that you say process because I know for me, I'm often reminding, you know, parents when children are doing something to really uh, talk about the process or or really that it, it that it's the process that's important and not like you say the outcome uh, you know when when we cook with children for example it can get very messy but for them it's the actual process of participating and doing uh, the thing so that's a beautiful definition thank you for that Thank you. And so before we get uh, too involved in our conversation, I would love for you to share with the listeners a little bit about uh, you, your work, and, and how you came to do the work that you're doing today with parents. That's a long journey. I can give you an extra long answer, short answer, and super short. So I'll give you the super short version because I want to chat with you about more important things. So the work that I'm doing with parents currently, uh, and before working with parents for the past 20 years, I have worked with children in different education settings, in a correctional facility, gifted children, autistic children. I taught, I was a psychologist, and that was my dream since I was 13. And um, until I became a parent, I was working with children. And of course, parenthood, motherhood opens your eyes in a way that you have never seen before the world and your perspective changes. And my mission has always been helping children, and it is still my mission. I want every child to thrive and reach their potential. I deeply care for children. I know you care for children too. And um, that comes from my traumatic childhood because I want to save and help children. But until I became a parent, I didn't have that connection that in order to help children, we need to help the parents. Parents need a lot of love, support, empathy and a lot of care. And so my focus shifted 14 years ago. You know, I'm a mom to a 14-year-old girl and I started working with parents. And so I have a private practice here in New Jersey that specializes in parent education. I teach court-ordered parenting classes. I do co-parenting counseling um, and just work with parents from around the world. Beautiful. And and that is so true. You know, I, I kind of had that revelation to being in the classroom and, and having parents asking me why their children were so different in the, you know, in the classroom environment, in the Montessori classroom environment than they were at home and realizing how much parents really needed support like the children were fine right they were to come to us they they know that this environment is for them and they're they're capable they do their things but it's it's the parents that were needing more support so you and I are on the same mission that's wonderful wonderful yes so i i was uh reading your bio and one thing that uh came to me is that you talk about trauma informed education and I guess I, I would like to understand a little bit more what that means. If you can define that and, and explain that to our listeners and, and to me, because I'm, I'm curious. <laughs> <clears throat> well, trauma is a big part of life. 
uh, it's it's this invisible epidemic, I would say. Uh, and not everybody has trauma, and not every negative event in our life is trauma. Um, but trauma is an injury. It's when you feel, you know, as a child, especially if we're talking about childhood trauma, and many of us have um, some kind of injury from our childhood, whether that be a relational wound, attachment wound, if you will, or developmental trauma. I mean, it's a big topic, but I think what uh, my mission is just to inform parents, people, educators. I also speak uh, at conferences for early childhood educators, and I do want them to know that trauma plays a big role in how children specifically behave and act and who they are. And oftentimes we misinterpret. We're so focused on their behavior and academics and good grades and performance. We forget that there is a whole child um, behind the behavior. And, and oftentimes these are trauma symptoms, right? Um, and, you know, so having that awareness, teaching parents or caregivers or uh, people who work with children, uh, inform them what is trauma and how it impacts us, our mood, our behavior, our health, mental health, physical health, our relationships, our parenting, if we're talking to parents. And once they connect the dots, first people um, learn about trauma and about themselves, that they're not crazy, that the things, the addictions or um, uh, other things that they do uh, are not because they are a bad or broken person. It's it's a sign of trauma and, and that's a big relief. And trauma comes with shame. So we want to untangle all of those elements and help people not to be only trauma informed because being informed is one thing. It's the first step. It's a good thing, but we have to be trauma responsive, right? Use that knowledge, that information to help people. Um, being trauma-informed, I think, is not enough, but it's the first step. And and I see a world now that it's at least my little world on Instagram or the people that I follow is promoting trauma-informed education, trauma-informed care. Um, but again, besides information, we have to really um, be careful and not use uh, strategies or techniques when we work with kids, for example, to re-traumatize children. Or sometimes parents get involved in online classes and things of this nature, and they get re-traumatized. So um, right. I think that's that's what I would say in short. Okay, so so because for me, I, I was... I was, uh, I guess, misunderstanding what that um, word was. And from what you're saying, it's just when you say a trauma-informed education, it's just this notion that we are aware that trauma exists, whether it's big or small, that we all basically have some sort of residue of, of you know, childhood traumas and that we need to just be aware of it. And then, and then do you, so I'm, I'm assuming that in your private practice, then you will help kind of process it so that we can let go of it and, and, and forgive basically is I think the ultimate thing. 
Am I correct? And and, and do, do the healing process, yes, and help yeah. individuals heal. Um, and there are many healing modalities, um, but of course, trauma leaves in the body. So I am a firm believer in somatic-based practices, you know, polyvagal theory, and the nervous system. That, that's what I teach, um, uh, and I work with people with that philosophy. Um, you know, there is place for talk therapy and um, cognitively processing the events, the memories, creating a coherent story, but also addressing the body first and foremost. Um, let's say you're feeling something. Um, story follows state, in, in other words, right? First comes the state of the body. Your nervous system responds to events, to the sensory world that we live in. We gather information from the world. Um, and your nervous system gets dysregulated. You you know, you can have, there's different ways you respond to events uh, in, in the world or to people. And the story comes later. Most of the work that people do is they want to rehash the same story over and over again. And that is not helpful because then the trauma is still in their body, that energy, that unfelt or half felt emotions, unprocessed uh, stuff is, is still holding them back. And, and, um, I mean, it, it's a lifelong journey, right? There is no end, to, no end to the healing. But I, I have done a lot of work on myself, and and um, I, I know it, 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 it makes a big difference when, you, when you don't tell a story of why are you feeling this anxiety or this anger or, or however you are feeling. You just feel the feelings, and regulate your nervous system. Learn to regulate that. I think that there is big benefit in that. Then the story doesn't matter. Right, right. It's just a story. It's just right. <laughs> and and you 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 talk a little bit about um, you know emotional re regulation for caregivers uh, and children. So when when we kind of suspect there's something going on with a child and we realize that there's there's you know maybe something uh, an unmet need or or like you say a an attachment wound or something how do you as a parent uh how would you help your child kind of process that and 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 heal basically and let go so that we can we can let go of that trauma and and not carry it for forever Helping our kids process their feelings? Yes. Um, I think the biggest step in helping our kids, as hard as it is to hear for us parents, is for us to be able to feel our own feelings and connect to our own nature uh, and, and start to feel our own feelings in, in, in their raw form. Um, so let's assume that the parent that we're talking about, this hypothetical person who wants to help their children, is able and has permission to feel their feelings, is, is not numb or disconnected from their inner world. Um, because oftentimes that's the hurdle, right? The hardest part about parenting is not parenting. It's, it's the self-regulation of the parent. And it all begins with the parent, but let's assume the parent has done a lot of work, is in a good place, and they want to help their children. The biggest step, I think, is not to deny children's inner reality. If a child is feeling a certain way, 
that's their inner truth. That's their inner reality. We need to accept all of their feelings and the expressions of those feelings. You know, I had a client who said, oh, I didn't grow up in an emotion-friendly home. I was not allowed to show anger or feel my feelings, only good feelings. And so I want to raise a kid differently. And But she says that her daughter, when she's angry, she's a four-year-old girl, she says, you know, I tell her it's okay to be angry, but now let's, you know, move on. Let's do this. It's okay to be angry. And I said to her, but the expression of the anger is feeling of the feeling, right? You have to also accept the expression. You can't just verbally say it's okay to feel angry, but when I'm angry, I pout, I stumped, I throw, I thrash, I yell. Are you okay with that, mom? Because that's the expression of anger. And anger has a lot of energy. It has to come out. So while many of us have this nice sentiment, oh, we want to raise our children, you know, and let them feel their feelings, we're still not okay fully with the expression of those feelings. We minimize, we short circuit, we cut it out, you know, we, we stop the expression. Um, with that, we stop the emotion, the full cycle of the emotion in a child. I think that's the first step to know that it's all healthy, it's all good. Just because your child just threw a toy across the room doesn't make you a bad parent. It's not about manners when your child is in this angry state, or it's not about your kid being a bad kid. It's that anger energy. Can you prevent certain behaviors? Sure you can. Uh, if your child is hitting you in that moment, then you gently hold their hand or, or you know, stop their, them from kicking. But that anger has to move. Same is for sadness and tears and crying. And I, I think we have to be okay with that. And that's the healthy expression of emotion. And children, once they learn to be okay with that, that's who they are. That's their true authentic nature, not denying their inner reality, validating their inner reality. Um, and, and not saying, oh, you feel sad or, or, you know, giving, the, because not all children are created equal. You know, one child may like if mom or dad says, oh, you're feeling sad because such and such happened. And your child may say, yeah, but most children and most adults don't want us to tell them what they feel, how they feel. You know, you, you can just say, I see you're having a hard time. Or you can simply describe as a parent, if you're lost for words in those moments, you can just say, you got so upset or you got so angry, you threw the train across the room. That, that is already a big step to connecting to your child, letting your child know, I see you, I hear you, and I'm okay with that. And I'm not denying, or I'm not saying change it, or this is the best way to behave. Well, I'll give you a chance to speak or ask uh, questions because I can go on and on. No, no, it, no, it's, it's, it's fascinating. I'm, I'm, I'm soaking it all in because what I'm hearing is that the way that we can help our children kind of process, you know, their emotions is to really not only validate it, like, you know, it's okay, but more it, it's about us being okay with the expression of that emotion, 
with with how they are they are processing and like you say every child is different i i have uh, two grown adults now very very different the way they process their emotions and so it's it's really about how they process it but as you're saying that i'm also kind of hearing voices <laughs> from the listeners going, yeah, but I don't want them to throw the train across the room because they might hurt their younger sibling or they might break something. So, you know, yes, I want to be able to validate emotion and and let my unique child, you know, process it in their way. But there are also kind of, you know, societal norms as to what is uh, acceptable in how we process those emotions. So how do we give our children maybe tools to be able to process their emotions in, in a different way than might be that instinctual of, you know, throwing things and, 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 uh, wanting to break, break things, for example. Okay, so this is a great question. I think um, in the first instance, you know, when your child is being unsafe to themselves or to others, yes, sure, you can curb the hand, you can take the toy. Um, if possible, a parent can do something in certain instances. But if it's not going to hurt anyone, it's okay. Let your child express their feelings because that energy has to move out of their body. If it doesn't, then it's more going to stay there and it's accumulating and it's going to create jitters and anxiety and your child is not going to sleep well and your child is going to cry at every moment uh, in inappropriate moments. So the emotions have to come out. They have a very short life cycle. Uh, that's number one. Let's talk about the three R's. Regulate, relate, reason. Of course, we need to teach our children what's appropriate, what's acceptable. And every household, every parent has their own set of rules, right? And expectations. Um, but the teaching comes later. The first R's, number one, priority when your child is dysregulated, meaning they're feeling big feelings in that moment. They're overwhelmed with emotion, swept engulfed by emotion, that is not the time to teach a lesson, to reason, to set the limit, to say that wasn't nice, choose your words, that was not a good choice, or any other variety of things that we want to do. Because the child is unable to hear, they are in sympathetic activation. It's all about the nervous system. So the, our main priority has to be, which is very difficult, to connect to our child so that we can help the child regulate their feelings in the moment to come into more homeostasis so that they will be able to hear our message. In that moment, they can't process words, they can't hear, that they're only going to be agitated because everything to a kid in that moment appears as a source of threat, even your voice. And children in that moment and adults register uh, nonverbal cues very, very sharply. So you may have an angry look or a posture or a gesture that, that you're angry or annoyed. They register that and it makes them even more agitated. So our facial expression, our tone of voice, our posture gestures has to be loving and compassionate as much as possible so that we can help the child co-regulate through us, uh, through a regulated adult, 
And that's the first step, regulate, because we want to bring them down, right, of that activation, of that stress response through relating to them. And once they are out of that, they can, then we can reason with them. Then we can set the limit. Then we can invite the child for a do-over. Then we can teach the lesson that we meant to teach. Then we can ask questions to the kid because in that moment already, the child is perceptive and receptive and they can access their words, they can talk. And there is an interesting, every parent knows this very well with their kids. When the child gets out of that agitation, activation, um, dysregulation, they changed the subject. You know, they cried for 15 minutes, then they pouted, they sweated for 20 minutes, the tantrum is over. And now they're like, mom, can we do this? They changed the subject, they talk. And that's when you know, oh, you know, the storm is over, the teaching has to begin now. But I also recommend parents, oftentimes the teaching doesn't have to follow the, you know, outburst or the tantrum. You can teach even in the evening. You can teach the next day. Um, The teaching doesn't have to happen like right away, right? Because you can remind your kid the next day at breakfast when everything is calm, you can say, remember yesterday when you got so upset and such and such happened and you were very this and you describe what happened. And with your child, you create a little story of what happened. You go step by step of of the event and you say, you know what, you know, what are you going to do next time? And and then you reason with your kid. If there is a place for setting a limit, set that limit. If you want to invite your child to do a do-over, what could you do? Uh, how could you do it differently? More kinder way of doing things. So there's a variety of things, but the three R's is key. Uh, and the parental self-regulation plays a huge role. In order for us to show up for our kids when they are triggered and agitated and stressed out or just dysregulated, that's the term that I use, we need to be in a regulated, calm state of mind so that we can help them move quickly through this process. And how that that's, I mean, I was going to get to that. It's because, you know, you, you said very clearly that we need to stay in a very, calm and compassionate, you know, state so that they can, they can self-regulate, but that triggers us that that gets us in a, in in a tizzy and, and, you know, we, we get uh, triggered and, and maybe dysregulated ourselves. So how do we get to a calmer place so that we can we can, um, and I'm trying to remember her name, but uh, she has a blog called Hey Sigmund. Karen, she, I remember this beautiful expression of borrowing our calm. Like how, how do we get to a place where we are regulated so that they can borrow our calm, so that they can uh, calm themselves? Because, you know, I know about mirror neurons and if our child is, is totally, you know, dysregulated, we tend to get uh, dysregulated. So what are your like go-to tips for parents to, to just, you know, be able to take care of themselves first? Yes, you said the magic words, take care of themselves first. There, mm-hmm. there is, I, I see this two ways. There is in the moment, what could you do in this moment? Um, and sometimes you can't. 
sometimes you're so triggered, you're so agitated, then you need to respect and honor that and don't feel pressured or guilty that, oh, you know, I have to regulate my kid. Don't put that extra pressure. We live in a real world where real parents, sometimes it just doesn't work out. So it's best for you to tend to your triggers, to calm yourself down, to leave the room if your child is safe, to ask your partner to come in for a moment. You know, the configurations are different for each household. But if you are unable, recognize that and honor that and say, do I have capacity in this moment? I'm getting really triggered right now or my childhood trauma is reactivated. If you don't have the capacity inside, you can't do this process. So it's best not to even engage in this co-regulation dance. I think that's number one. Number two, there are things you can do in that moment. Um, but most of the work has to happen before the moment rises. Sadly, no one wants to hear this because we want to, you know, have a fire extinguisher and just um, put out the fire in the moment. But for that, you need training. So taking care of your needs. Uh, I call this radical self-care. What comes before the moment is a lifestyle that the choices that you make every day, including healing work, including therapy, right? Because why are you getting triggered by a three-year-old? Um, can you create that distance that that's his world, these are his feelings, and he's not annoying me, he's not a brat, or she's not a sassy girl, or whatever that, that person is perceiving. If you have... Um, feelings like that towards your kid in those moments, then maybe therapy would be useful to go over your own childhood. Uh, and maybe you have unresolved, un ungriefed losses or traumas so that you can create that boundary, that distance between you and your child, right? You are not enmeshed with your kid. Yes, it is uncomfortable, but can you recognize that your child is just having his own emotions and they're not yours. And can you be a support? When my daughter was young, I developed this mantra for myself that I am helping my child. In those moments, I would say that a hundred times to myself so that I won't get triggered because it wasn't about me. This is bigger than me. I want to raise an emotionally intelligent, healthy child. And I want to show up for her in a way that I can. And so creating a mantra is, is, is possible. I've developed this four-step formula called Calm, and um, you can access it for free. It's a 20-minute um, training that I go over. It's, it's a very body-based, uh, again, experience, mindfulness-based, compassion-based. I meshed all together to give parents, like, in the moment, what could you do, the four steps of calm, um, to, to stay regulated so that you can help your child. And one of the, uh, the L stands for language and is the mantra, I'm helping my child. That was very useful for me, but maybe for someone, it could be just saying, this is not an emergency, or my child is just having their own emotional reaction. Like just clarifying that it's your child's feelings and it's not your feelings. They're not yours. Creating that distance, that boundary is, is key. I love that. 
Yeah. No, sorry. I, I just, my, my mantra I was thinking is, oh, or not really a mantra, but what I remind parents is to not take things so personally, right? This is not about you. They're, they're not doing it to bother you. They are having a hard time. They are going, like you should say, it is their inner world. Um, and I love that. And I think all that you're saying is also for me, and I hope that the listeners are are getting this, is really kind of taking taking pressure off of us as parents. Like we do not need to fix every situation, right? We're just we're just there to 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 hold space, to to validate feelings and 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 just take care of our, our child. Like you say, I am helping my child. I think that is just so beautiful because it, it takes that pressure off of us that we need to, you know, make sure everything is in order right away. And that, you know, onlookers, if our child is having a tantrum in the, you know, department store, we're, <laughs> we're getting the dirty looks, but no, it's, don't worry about that. Just be there for your child. So I love that. Thank you. Yeah, if a person, if, if someone who is listening gets overwhelmingly bothered, annoyed, and triggered in those moments, that's a clear sign that that you probably have a trauma response in those moments. Um, being regularly, quote unquote, annoyed, you know, it's, it's normal. Uh, all of us get annoyed by our children's behavior, their moods, their tantrums. But if it's this overwhelming uh, emotion that takes over you and you lose control. So do, do those, there are other signs, but that could mean that, you know, your old traumas are activating and you, you become the child, you no longer are the parent. Um, and, and so you, then that's gonna, you know, create a situation where you can't connect to your kids' feelings and, and separate those feelings. So I think more professional help, um, is is necessary in in that instance uh, but if it's just this regular annoyance or like oh my gosh again that's okay but if it's overwhelming response then then know that that is that you can heal um you can heal beautiful beautiful and the the calm uh meditation that you have i will have in the show notes so if anybody is looking for that it it, it will be in the in the show notes so thank you for that um i just wanted to switch a little bit because um like i said at the beginning you know i've i've uh, you've been a great inspiration to me to to start my podcast and be talking to others in our in our field in our, our parenting world and such. And with all of the interviews that you have done over these seven years, what do you feel is kind of um, some big maybe ahas or revelations that is like this reoccurring theme that maybe. Um, that we're evolving. I guess, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist and I like to think that, that, you know, our parenting, we, we're evolving. Each generation is evolving. We're, we're a lot more informed about the brain, about emotions and so forth. But with all of the interviews that you've done, has there been like, um, this, uh, maybe main theme or, or revelations that you've had from all your guests? Yes, I think d doing our own work is 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 key. Um, as as I always say, you know, 
the hardest part about parenting is not parenting, is our own self-regulation, is how we manage our own stress, regulate our own emotions. Um, because you can learn parenting tips and tricks and strategies if you don't have any trauma or, um, you know, any childhood relational wounds, it would be a lot easier to, to, to parent. Uh, I, I think that's what makes parenting hard is what we bring into parenthood um, and knowing that it begins with us. If we can do the work of healing our own, even looking at our own history, at our own childhood uh, with an honest, open look, right? Sometimes we we moved away and we, we don't want to take a close look, but, but it's important. And that's, what's going to make the difference. The parental well-being, parental happiness, uh, is key for children's well-being and happiness. Um, there is no, um, you can sacrifice, you can put your needs and everything aside and say, oh, I'm just going to make my children happy, but that is not going to work. So it begins with the parent. Um, heal thyself, I would say. Connect to your authentic self so that you can show up greatly for your kids. That's going to make the right. difference. And, and that's, that's beautiful, but I feel also that oftentimes that is not like, awakened until we become a parent like the to me that the being a parent like is a work of you know self-evaluation self-reflection and all this that 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 I think was because I mean I, I don't think that we can tell parents you know before they even think of being parents or or they're considering to be parents like okay well now you have to do your your inner work before you can be a parent right <laughs> nobody would buy that <laughs> nobody would buy that right so it's really that awareness that being a parent is going to wake some things up is going to reveal to you you know, maybe some things that you tucked away that you didn't want to think about or feel or all of that. And your child is going to awaken that. Would that is that correct? It's ab ab absolutely. Yeah. Parenthood is the portal uh, to self-healing. And unless you become a parent, then you won't be, you know, you may have losses or unresolved issues from your past, but they may be dormant. Motherhood, parenthood just shakes things up and awakens those things. And I think by just seeing it as a growth opportunity, uh, that can make a big difference. It's a, it's a beautiful evolution, right? Your uh, as I always used to say in my podcast in the earliest years, it's a parallel growth process. Your child is growing, so are you. Um, and each step of Parenthood brings up new challenges and new opportunities. Can you see it as an opportunity and not as a disaster? Because this is a beautiful unfolding of your growth journey. Uh, enjoy the ride. Um, you know, it's going to be bumpy. It's going to be difficult, hard at times. But it's worth it because you are becoming your most authentic self as your child is growing into their own authentic self. It's, it's this wonderful parallel growth journey. Um, and I think it's, it's, that's what we're here for. 
to transform into our best self through parenthood. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. And and for me, it's just, I love seeing, you know, the evolution of how we are able to, to parent. I mean, just, you know, from, from your work, from what you share with parents, you're helping so many to evolve as to, you know, the generation before us that wasn't maybe as informed or, you know, had very different, uh, idea of what children were capable of and and how we we should be treating children. I think there's been such a beautiful evolution, I think, in the in the right direction, at least what I see. Um, And it's 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 beautiful to see. So and you're part of it. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, we, we are all part of it. I, I think, yeah, I, I agree with yeah. you. How, how were you, I mean, if, it, if it's okay to ask, how were you raised? Like how, what are the big maybe ways that you have veered away from, from how you were raised and how you're raising your daughter? Oh man, do you really want to go there? <laughs> so I, it's, it's, um, I can speak about this for hours, but um, I, I was raised in a normal household, quote unquote, normal by two parents, uh, until I was 13. Um, and when I was 13, a severe earthquake happened in my home country, Armenia in 1988. And, um, my life turned upside down in 12 seconds. So I, I, I lost everything, um, including my mother. Oh, I'm so and sorry. So I, I was thrown into a different, you know, I was homeless, I starved, I lived in different countries, I lived in, um, with far relatives and attended school in foreign country. And, and um, eventually, you know, I was raised by my dad, Mm -hmm. who also passed away last year due to COVID. And so, Mm. yeah, thank you. So, I, um, what I can say is, um, I mean, I can say a lot of things about growing up without the mother, how that shaped me, who I am and all of that. But I think I will focus on, um, how I was raised by my dad, which also plays a huge role in who I am today. Um, I was given a lot of freedom because I was parentified, I took care of my family because I was the girl and I took care of my brother and my dad. I cooked from the age 13 and took care of the household. And I also was a student and, a, um, you know, attended school. Um, because of those, I acquired a lot of good qualities, uh, you know. And um, But one thing that my dad encouraged was who I was as a child with my craziness, with my self-expression, with being artsy and sensitive and empathetic, that was not shut down. I was allowed to be who I was and, and I was loved and, and cherished for that. And so I tried to give that to my kid, not to squash her spirit, but to honor and just treasure and celebrate who my child is, because I know it felt amazing. Um, I learned a lot, you know, I I had a lot of freedom. Um, You may say neglect, but I think it was a lot of freedom 
just to do whatever we wanted because I was the parent basically. So that freedom gives me a lot of respect for children's autonomy. And um, I raised my daughter with a lot of honoring her own autonomy, her own thinking, her own emotions, accepting her for who she is. That was big. That translated into my parenting. Um, and, and honoring the emotions was a big one um, because I was left with my own emotions. No one was there to placate me or guide me. I just felt the enormous emotions of of, of the loss and the grief and I was able to be okay with big feelings and be okay with uncomfortable feelings. So I knew the value of it, how you can live wholeheartedly and connect to other people and have deeper empathy. And you can also experience joy deeply if you can feel the pain on a deeper level. I tried to honor that in my kid. And, and this is why a big part of my work is the emotional health of, of children coaching. Parents. Definitely, definitely. Well, thank you for, for sharing that because I know that was that was deep and hard. And, and But thank you for, for sharing that. And I have to commend your father as well to you know, have been kind of a, a visionary to, to let his daughter, because I'm sure that, you know, um, many years ago, you know, maybe daughters weren't given that much freedom and so forth. And, and to really nurture your unique potential is, and he did an amazing job. So yeah, gotta say, beautiful, beautiful story. And thank you for sharing that. And no wonder, because at the beginning, you said that you uh, wanted to be a psychologist from the age of 13. So no wonder now I understand. I, 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 I even have um, an essay that I wrote in school. I still have it. It survives from the earthquake. Yeah. It says, it says my dream, an essay, how I want to become a psychologist and work with orphans and help children. And I talk about all of those things and it's like, wow, word by word, that essay has, has realized for me that dream. Um, and, and, uh, and I do have a deep um, uh, honor for dads because I was raised by a dad. I would say 80% of my practice, I work with fathers. Interesting. Mm, beautiful. Mm -hmm. So a big part of my work is supporting dads. Beautiful. Beautiful. Well, thank you. This has been a beautiful conversation. And, and I have many, many more questions, but I know we're... we're kind of short on time. And I just wanted to close maybe with a more personal question. And that is, you mentioned that your daughter is now 14. Um, if you were to go back to maybe 15 years ago, when you were expecting her, what wise words would you tell yourself knowing that all that you know today? Oh, the first thing that comes to mind is, it's all going to be all right. It's all going to work out because I had, when I was expecting, I had a very hard time learning that I was going to have a daughter because I was a motherless daughter. I didn't know if I could be a mother to a girl. So I would say, Anna, you're going to be an amazing mom to a girl and she's going to be an amazing, wonderful child. So don't worry about anything. Mm, that's beautiful. Uh, thank you for that. And any any parting words that you would like to leave our listeners with today, Anna? 
I would just say, don't be hard on yourself. Um, practice self-compassion. It's a necessary skill and tool to have in your toolbox, maybe one of the biggest ones. And do your own work. And I think that's, these are my two main suggestions at the moment. Mm. Thank you so much for for your time and sharing all your, your wisdom. This has been a beautiful conversation. Thank you. Thank you. I, I really loved our t- conversation today. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Art of Parenting. And if you did, please make sure to share it with your loved ones. And do come share your takeaways in our private Facebook community. I'd also be grateful for a review on iTunes so it can get heard by many more. And remember, if you've got a question, let me know. I'm here for you. Till next time.